We're going to turn to God's Word now, um, reading from 1 John chapter 5. Um, It's 1 John chapter 5. So that's not the Gospel of John, that's later on in the New Testament. Um, So if you turn to about page 1022 or 23 of your your Pew Bible, um, you should be there or thereabouts. So that's the letter of 1 John um, chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 16 down to verse 15. And the words will uh, appear on the, the screens before you or on page about 1023 of your, your pew Bibles. Let's listen to God's word uh, together. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask, according, ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the re- requests that we have asked of him. Amen. And may God bless us the reading of his holy word this morning. This... Um, this morning, we're going to look at a topic about, I'm kind of uh, labeled certainty amidst uncertainty. But as we spend time this morning looking at God's Word, my prayer is that we as a church will um, see uh, what, I, what I believe is a fundamental thing for us to hold on to as we look to grow in uh, our maturity and as we look to step further as a church into the things of God and that God has in store for us. And this is something that God has laid on my heart um, very clearly this, this week through a variety of different ways. I had two different conversations around this subject this week, and also uh, I came across a, a video as well that, that kind of um, prompted me um, to speak uh, about this subject. Uh, and that subject is um, the subject of full assurance. Full assurance. Can we really know that we are saved? Can we really know that we are saved? And as I said, I I really believe that this is um, a a fundamental um, um, foundational block for us as a church as we look to step into um, the greater things that God has in store for us as we are going to begin to start looking at the different gifts that God gives to his church as we look to um, step out into these things. I I, I really believe that this is a, a, a... a really important subject for us to engage with. Can we really know that we are saved? 
I wonder if you will allow me to engage in a bit of history this morning. In the 1500s, we saw a movement that changed the world, which is known as the Reformation. It's a subject that, that, um, that, that, that is amazing, that is divisive, that's, um, that, that some people love and some people hate, um, but it is a movement that changed the world uh, as we knew it. Uh, and the Reformation, or the Protestant Reformation, is, um, in its most simplest terms in the 1500s, was this movement which was a call back to biblical truth. In its most simplest oversimplification, it was a movement that men stood up to seek the church to step back and come back to biblical truth. Now, I know, uh, and even as an incomer to Glasgow, I know that this subject is a very divisive one when you start to speak about Protestants and you start to speak about, about Catholics. Uh, and sadly, many have jumped on what, what, what something was a, a, a beautiful heart and a pastoral heart, which we'll come to in a, move, in a moment in, with the Reformation, uh, and has somehow become about two football teams. Uh, and actually, I'm not speaking about that this morning. So if that's where your head's going to get away from that place. We're not speaking about Rangers or Celtic. Uh, and actually, it's nothing to do with football teams or anything like that. But we're going back to look at the very, um, very moment in, in time, in the 1500s, where we see this movement happen, where, where men start to call out to the church saying, guys, you've got this wrong. You need to come back to the Bible. You need to come back to biblical truth. In that time, there was the church. There was just the, the, the church. There wasn't denominations. There was just the church. And sometimes, some of you have even asked, when we, when we speak about the Apostles' Creed uh, on communion, when we say it, you'll see this, this phrase, we talk about the, 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 the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. And, well, why do we say that if we're Protestants? What, what's that about? Well, Catholic means universal, that that's what that's speaking about, is the, the, the whole bride of Christ. So there was just the Catholic church, there was the, the bride of Christ, the universal church. And what had happened was that they had begun, the church, we had begun to drift away from biblical truth. And as a result, there were men like Calvin and, and Knox and, and Luther and, and others who stood up within the church and spoke out against the church that they were a part of, saying, guys, you've got this wrong. You've drifted. You've come away from biblical truth. And what this eventually saw was that actually there was a resistance within the church. So these men thought, you know, we, we can't stay a part of this anymore. And as a result, the, the Protestant denomination was, was born. And out of this reformation, out of this, this heart to reform the church, this heart to come back to biblical truths, there were five statements that were given, five statements that are, that are key, five statements that, that were spoken, that were uh, sought to distinguish the teaching um, of the reformers to those of Rome. And the first one was sola scriptura. This was the first um, statement that they sought to, to speak out, sola scriptura, scripture alone. 
And this is the belief that Scripture alone is God's inspired word. It is the only inerrant. It is the only sufficient. And it is the final authority of the church. That man can't speak anything against Scripture. That actually we have to see what Scripture says and we live it out. We don't give, seek to give other teachings that contradict to Scripture. Because why? Sola Scripture, Scripture alone is our authority. And the second was solos Christos, Christ alone. It is by Jesus, it is only by Christ that we can be saved. It is only by Christ that we can be justified. The third was sola fide, faith alone. It is only through faith in Christ that we have received redemption. It is only through faith in Jesus that we can be saved. The fourth is sola gratis, grace alone. It's not about any merit of us. That our salvation from beginning to end solely depends upon the grace of God. And then finally, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. That only God receives glory for our salvation. So you see these five solas, these five statements, these five statements that speak about Scripture alone, faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone, glory to God alone. This is the heart of the Reformation. This is the, 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 the kind of the oversimplif- oversimplification again of, of, of what I'm going to say is, but these were the five statements that the, the men who stood up and spoke out, this is what they were saying, this is what we need to get back to. And from them we see the activeness of God and the utter dependency of man in this world. And one of the main catalysts for the Reformation was a chap called Martin Luther. Now, not Martin Luther King. It's a different guy, Martin Luther. And he was instrumental in the Reformation. And as he came to a realization, which, which really did um, set the Western world on a course that, that, that would change things, that, that saw, that saw the, the, the Protestant faith emerge. But what needs to be said, especially in a, 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 a place like, like Glasgow, is that it didn't emerge from a place of hate or anything like that. That's not why Luther stood up and spoke out. It was from a pastoral heart. It was from a heart of love for God's people. It was from a heart of, of wanting to get back to God's word and be committed to the word of God. And through Luther and other people, what we saw was that actually the, the, this desire for the Bible to be produced in, 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 in language that, that people could understand by themselves. Because they couldn't read the Bible. It wasn't in the vernacular. So the common people didn't have access to pew Bibles or things like that. They were always being told what to believe. And actually what we see is this, 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 this desire for the Bible to be in the common tongue. Why? Because sola scriptura. It's not my authority. It's God's word. And Luther didn't set out to form a new church, but wanted to reform from within. And he believed that his church that he was a part of, that, that, that they, they'd, they'd drifted from its rich heritage, that they'd begun to betray the, the truth that, that, that they once stood for. 
And Luther writes what is referred to in Reformation theology as his 95 Thesis. He writes up this document of, of all the things that he believed that was wrong with the church. And off he goes to a public square near a church and he nails it to a door or a wall depending on who you ask. And the reason for that was, was because it was meant for public discussion. That's how public discussion happened in those days. And it was from a heart of being a pastor, this pastoral heart, and this desire and longing for the church to return to the truth of God and to come to the light once again. And a huge issue for Luther was this issue of indulgences. This is one of the things that was a massive catalyst in the Reformation. And these indulgences caused fear to arise in people. And what it did was it started to create, it didn't start, it caused doubt and anxiety and fear around the subject of salvation. So what is an indulgence? Well, an indulgence is a monetary payment which the church, the Catholic church taught and they taught that if you paid a monetary payment, that, that it would absolve someone of past sins. It would release a loved one from purgatory. Even if they died and they had gone to this place that they believed called purgatory, we'll get to that in a minute. That if you paid this monetary payment, this indulgence, that actually you could shorten your sentence in purgatory, that actually you could make yourself a bit better with God, and as a result of this teaching, there was a very well-known um, statement and, and catchphrase that arose. And it was, as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. And this was one of the main thinkings that people had. You can see the fear that people are going to have. And this is what they're being taught. They don't have access to the Bibles themselves. And... Another difference was this thing about purgatory as well. We don't believe that there's an in-between place that you go to. And actually what we see is that you don't have to go to this kind of holding cell to um, uh, uh, see your imperfections purged away when you die. But actually by Christ alone, through faith alone, because of grace alone... That actually, if you put your trust in Jesus here and now, you're justified. You're saved. It's done. If you follow him. And Luther stood against the belief that the, the church, that his church, remember, he wasn't part of another denomination speaking out against the Catholic church. This was his church that he'd grown up in. He was speaking out against it and saying that, 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 that they don't, you don't have the authority to pardon sin. Only God alone has that authority. And you can see then from the, the, this massively oversimplified um, kind of debrief on the Reformation, you can begin to see why these five solas arose. Scripture alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. Grace alone. For the glory of God alone. And people were effectively paying money to the church to try and make sure that they were saved. To try and just make sure that they spend a little less time in purgatory or their loved ones who'd already passed away, 
that actually you could actually make a payment for them as well to get them a little less time. And you can see then the fear that this, would, that this caused in people's lives. This fear of, how, how, how do I know if I'm going to heaven? Have I repented enough? Have I paid enough money? Should I make another indulgence? What about my poor grandparents? Did they pay enough? Are they right enough? I'll make a payment for them. You can see the fear and the anxiety that that begins to create in people as they're told that this is what you have to do. And effectively, Luther, whose eyes were opened against this heresy, stood as a voice in the, in, in the midst of chaos and uncertainty and fear. He stands as a voice of calmness and assuredness and certainty. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, guys, 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 listen up. This teaching's so wrong. Let's get back to Scripture. What does God's Word say? Sola Scriptura. It tells us that any soul who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's by Christ alone. It's not by a monetary payment. It's through faith in Christ. Sola fide. And it's all because God's gracious. We don't have to earn it. It's by grace alone that we're saved. And ultimately, it's all for his glory. And sadly, many Roman Catholics still have a sense of, of doubt and, and, and kind of they, they struggle to, to hear evangelicals stand and say, I know I'm saved. And many, what they say is, that, that's pride. That's not pride. That's confidence in Christ. This isn't a pride thing. It's not about, pride means it's about me. This is a total dependency and confidence in what Jesus has done. That despite my faults and despite my feelings, that I can know that I am right with God. And from this, in the, in the midst, in the 1500s of this fear and uncertainty that people had, what we see because of the Reformation, this, this movement across Europe that sweeps, we see this doctrine of assurance arise. And we read of it in the Westminster Confession of Faith as well. We see this doctrine of assurance arise, this most precious doctrine, a most precious truth. That beloved of Christ, that you can rest your head on your pillow tonight knowing that you're okay with Christ spiritually. Isn't that amazing? That is so good. Do you know there wasn't a person in 1500 in Europe that could do that? Not because it wasn't true then, but because it wasn't taught then. The truth of the assuredness of salvation didn't start with Luther and the reformers, but because of them, the truth of this most precious doctrine is rediscovered, it's reclaimed, it's retold, and it's remembered. 
And then we come to our passage here this morning in 1 John chapter 5, where John is speaking to the church, and he, he, he calls on three witnesses that testify to who Jesus is. We see that by the water and the blood and the Spirit. Those are the three, um, that's verses, verse 6 uh, of 1 John chapter 5. We, we see these three witnesses that, that John calls on. And, and what are they testifying to? They're testifying to who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God. Firstly, we see the water of baptism. Think back to um, when Jesus stood on the banks of the River Jordan, uh, when he's been baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, And as Jesus is baptized, a voice from heaven declares that this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. With him I am well pleased. So we see the water, we see the the baptism, and in pointing to water, we see that baptism testifies to who Jesus is. And then we see the the second, we see the the, the blood. The blood testifies, verse 6 as well, the blood of Calvary, that that point to Jesus' death, his sacrifice, the the bloody mess that he was as he, he hung on the cross through his beating and the crown of thorns, that as he breathed his last breath, we see the guard that stands there. What is his declaration? That surely this must have been the Son of God. And in pointing to the blood, we see that the Lord's Supper, just as well as the sacrament of baptism, we see the Lord's Supper testifying to who Jesus is, that he is God's Son. And then we have the third witness, the Holy Spirit, of which we read, he is the truth. He is the Spirit of truth. We see that in verse 6 as well, the end of verse 6. And in the truth, the Spirit testifies concerning who Jesus is. So see that feeling you have when we sit under sermons or we're sitting listening to worship music or, or there's times we feel prompted and drawn closer to God. That's because His Holy Spirit is active and He's testifying to you who Jesus is. It isn't just a, a random feeling that you're having. That is the Holy Spirit who's, who's working, who's prompting. We must become a church who is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But by the Holy Spirit, friends, there is no church. So we see in verses 6 and then 7 through to 9, we have the water and the blood and the Holy Spirit all testify to who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God. And then we also see the Father, including God himself included here as well. And then John moves and he goes on to address belief and unbelief. And we don't have time to get into that this morning. But that ultimately what he's saying is that the Christian, that you as a follower of Jesus, you have God's testimony in your heart. You have the testimony of God in your heart because you have believed it. And those of us who don't believe it, who disagree with that, well, ultimately what we're doing is we're saying that God is a liar. Because God has revealed his truth to us by the water, by the blood, and by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 11, we see what this testimony is. It is that God gives us eternal life. So the answer to who is this Jesus is not a mere academic one. It isn't just something that you can or you, you answer if you want to. or you know Maybe, oh, well, I'm a bit lackadaisical about that kind of religious stuff. I'm not really going to engage. And actually, friends, this is the most important question that you can ever answer in your life. It's not just an academic one, but actually it is one that determines our eternal destination. 
The answer determines whether we participate in eternal life or not. Because that's what the testimony is, that God gives us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And then John tells us the reason why he's written all these things. Verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know, not just that you may hope, not that you just may pray, not just that you might be lucky enough, but that you may know that you have eternal life. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory, divine friends. You can know that you are saved. You can walk through this life knowing that God has saved you. You don't have to live your life in doubt or fear or hope or a prayer, but you can know that you have Jesus in your life. Can we know that we are saved? Yes, we can. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. James said, faith without works is dead. A living faith produces fruit. Those of us, you know, and again, we don't have time. Maybe we should spend time going through this whole letter of 1 John. There are evidences that John gives. Love for brothers and sisters in Christ is one. Love for God is another. Producing fruit. But does that mean that I can't have doubt as a Christian. No, friends, we're only human. And actually, we, we go through life, and we go ups and downs, and we have high moments and low moments, and there might be moments where you think, am I? It is, it is possible to be saved and to be unsure. Many followers of Jesus, and maybe some of you even here this morning, it's something that you wrestle with. Friends, I promise you, if you've put your hope and trust in Jesus, if you've called on his name, you've asked him into your life, if you've repented for your sins, the Bible says you're justified. The Bible says you are saved. Like I said, assurance isn't a pride thing. It's a confidence thing in what Jesus has done. It's laying hold of what is ours through Christ by faith because of grace. And why is this an important thing? Well, friends, Lack of assurance of salvation robs us of joy in this life. The devil, it's often a way the devil gets in and he, and he tries to make us stumble. Are you really saved? Has God really saved you? What about this thing or that thing? And remember that thing you did? Can God really forgive you for that? It's often a way the devil tries to get in. He tries to steal that certainty that we have that comes from the scripture, that comes through faith in Christ. And anytime the devil comes and says that to you, what you need to say is, well, Satan, you've got it wrong because it's not about me at all. It's all because of him. And a lack of assurance can also detract from stop our spiritual growth. This is why it's so important. If we want to grow as a church, we need to be certain of who Christ is and who he's called us to be, that we are his. Spurgeon said, I am sure it is the right for a child of God to know that God is his father and to never have a question in his heart as to his sonship. To know that we 
that what we hope for is ours through faith is truly a life-changing thing. And just as we look to wrap up this morning, this doctrine of full assurance, it allowed Daniel to go into the lion's den. It allows missionaries to go overseas, trusting that ultimately all will be well. It allows the persecuted church to gather without fear of persecution or death or arrest. Why? Because ultimately, no matter what happens to us in this life, we can know that we have eternal life. That we can know, that we can have certainty amidst all the uncertainty in this world. That we can know that God loves us, that we are saved and we put our hope in Him. It's truly amazing. No wonder the hymn writer said, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in me, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. See the certainty in that hymn? Don't you want that in your life? You can have it. It's yours. Because God testifies through you. He's given you eternal life. And he wants you to know that, not to live in fear or in dread. And this is something I think we need to reclaim as the church, as the bride of Christ, as we look to step into what God has in store for us as his people here. That we have that assuredness of salvation, not because of pride, but because of confidence in Jesus. That in this time of uncertainty, that we can stand amidst the chaos that as a church, that we can stand strong, we can stand secure, that we can hold our head up high. No matter what happens in this life, that we can proclaim that I know that my Redeemer lives. I'd like to finish this morning by watching a wee video. It's a video that uh, I think about 101 of you have sent to me at some point over the last few while, and it's truly truly phenomenal. Um, and I want us to, to, to end this morning by, by watching this. And, and, I, and I pray this morning that, that you are in no doubt of, of the salvation that God has given to you because it has nothing to do with you and it is all because of him. So let's watch this wonderful clip of Alistair Begg. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense... I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What? What do you mean you don't know? Well, because I, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, 
are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, "I never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, "The man on the middle cross said, I can come." <laughs> now. Now, that's the, that is the only answer. And as true that is for the man in the middle, the man, the, the, the thief on the cross, that is so true for us as well, friends. It's the only answer that any of us can give to that question. Because the man in the middle said we can come. Let's just take a moment just now before we pray. God, I speak to any doubt in the room and we say, be gone in Jesus' name. Would you cause faith to arise? Help us to know. Help us to know that I am my beloved's and he is mine. And that his banner over me is love. Thank you, God, that you don't leave us in doubt on fear. But through your word, through the water, through the blood, through the spirit, that you testify that we can know that we are saved. Not because of us, but because the man on the middle cross said we can come. Amen.